Okay, today I'm chatting with Scott Fry, the founder of Loving Earth, an ethically driven company that believes food is sacred. Loving Earth make chocolate bars, and the raw cacao that they use is grown by the Ashaninka community of the Peruvian Amazon, the largest indigenous community in Peru. We're currently working with Scott and his team to build a solution on Stella that can bring Scott's consumers that buy the chocolate bars closer to those farmers in the Amazon that, that farm the cacao, the raw materials for those chocolate bars. We talk about that work, how Scott ended up in the, in the Amazon and got to know the Ashaninka tribe, and also his vision around these new economic models that can improve the livelihoods of these communities, at the same time improving the environmental conditions. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's my podcast with Scott Fry. Hey, Scott, welcome to the Task podcast. How are you doing? Good, good. Great to be here. Yeah, it's, it's good to have you on. I've been, you know, we've tried a couple of times, we've missed each other. So, and obviously we have spoken, I think, many times in between. And this is a great opportunity really to kind of share your story and the stuff you're doing, we're doing with you and, and, and Loving Earth. I mean, as a starting point, as a first question, just give us a bit of insight. You know, what, what is Loving Earth? What's it all about? And your story in terms of being part of that really cool business, you know? Yeah, well, I guess um, it, 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 Loving Earth sort of emerged out of, um, out of I'd, I'd been living in India um, through the 90s. I, I was over there studying yoga and <clears throat> got involved in some community development projects there and, and, and I guess really saw how um, firsthand we were, we were just outside of Mumbai and saw the process of the kind of city expanding out um, and literally kind of eating up the, the land of the, the sort of local Adivasi people who were predominantly rice farmers. Um, yeah, it was kind of just watching this happen sort of in front of me over a couple of years and all the consequences of it. <clears throat> um, and a lot of the, the stuff I was doing there was really about looking at how to kind of, I guess, reverse that somehow, um, you know, preserve the, the natural environment, preserve, you know, the, the, the Indigenous culture and, and sort of contain the, what seemed like cancerous, kind of expansion of, um, you know, industrialization. Um, yeah. So that's where, that's, that's where the, the sort of inspiration came from, because as I was looking at all of that, I, I realized that market access was, was kind of um, really key uh, in terms of being able to, you know, create some change, um, and and you know, having having a brand in the marketplace um, then would enable the possibility to come back and work with the farmers and sort of you know partner with them because uh, access to the market you know was was sort of really key with all of that economic activity and you know ultimately I guess it all really came back to to economics and um and and um that was sort of driving that whole 
destruction of of the indigenous culture and and the natural environment. So, I mean, Loving Earth is a is a chocolate brand. I, I when I describe it to people, it's an ethical chocolate brand is how I describe it. I don't know if that's how you would describe it. And that's about the Ash and Inca, which we'll talk about was, did you, I mean, you're going back to the nineties the and India, did you run, did you have other projects you, you ran after coming out of India? Did you, did you kind of, uh, you know, engage with those communities in that's not part of loving earth, right? That'll be other, other work you were doing. Yeah. Well, I, I, I actually left India and ended up in Mexico. Um, okay. And um, um, in India, I was kind of involved in sort of a large master planning project for a large area and we were looking for donors and, um, and there was a, a very successful Mexican uh, businessman kind of entrepreneur that was involved in the yoga and, um, you know, I did a fundraising pitch to him and he really liked the work we were doing and, you um, Anyway, I guess to cut a long story short, I ended up in Mexico um, and um, and started working with some indigenous cooperatives in Mexico. Um, and that's where I discovered cacao down in Chiapas, um, working on a coffee project originally, actually. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, I sort of became fascinated with the whole history of cacao, particularly where I was working in, in Chiapas was where cacao was originally domesticated by the um, Olmecs, who were the ancestors of the, of the Mayans. And uh, so the cacao, the, the original genetic material comes from the Amazon, yep. uh, from the sort of Amazon basin. And they say that Incan traders brought it up into Mesoamerica and in particular, uh, Chiapas and Guatemala. Chiapas is on the border with Guatemala and that particular region there, there's a, a ruin called Isapa just outside of Tapachula, which they say is where cacao was first domesticated in, in, in that particular area. So that's where I was uh, working in, in, in Mexico and, yeah, just became fascinated with the whole history and story and the guy, one of them, one of the guys who helped set up at that particular time was the largest certified organic fair trade coffee cooperative in the world uh, in, in the Sierra Madres of Chiapas. He had a side project where he was working with, uh, it was about 100 farmers trying to rescue the original heirloom variety of cacao that had pretty much been wiped out uh, through the introduction of uh, hybrids, the high yielding hybrid sort of varieties. So yeah, I just became really fascinated with, with that whole story and that whole history. And uh, I guess I got bitten by the bug, so to speak. And um, yeah, just sort of ended up, yeah, exploring the whole world of chocolate and, and cacao and, you know, which eventually led me to uh, the Amazon in Peru. Um, and I learned to speak Spanish in Mexico. And, and then over the years, eventually, I, I sort of started sourcing cacao from the uh, Selva Central, which is sort of the, the, the area of the Amazon at the same level as Lima, so just over the Andes from Lima, uh, around the region of Satipo in, in Junin. And 
and after a, a few years of sourcing cacao from there and and sort of visiting every now and again, I was able to establish a relationship with the Ashaninka community. Um, and, and that was really facilitated by the, the Rainforest Foundation out of the UK. Um, yeah, we've been working with them for about six or seven years now, and that's been a, an amazing relationship. Um, and <clears throat> the, the cooperative, we buy pretty much all of their cacao and when we started, they were just sort of formalising the cooperative and uh, a lot of the funding from the Rainforest Foundation was sort of running out and they really needed to find a, a source of economic activity for the community. Um, and so, you know, that's where we came in and, and we started the first year, we, we managed to sort of help them you know, just get all the basics set up, like, you know, bank accounts, get them sort of certified organic, um, help them set up sort of some administrative infrastructure and post-harvest processing infrastructure. And um, we, we exported 10 tonnes out in the first year, which was 2015. Um, and then over the years, we've just sort of increased the volume. Um, and I think we peaked at around 90 tonnes um a couple of years ago but you know we're up around sort of 60 70 ton a year at the moment so um and you know that's the main economic source of economic activity going into that community um and there's about 500 families involved in the cooperative at the moment that are fairly remote in a fairly remote area and um they're all primarily unbanked um so you know don't really have access to the financial system. Um, and in fact, in 2017, um, the, um, the, the, the crew that worked for the cooperative that, that help organise everyone, they, um, in harvest, during the harvest, they have to go to the bank in Satipo and withdraw, you know, 25 or 30,000 US dollars in cash. Wow. And um, then they drive, you know, a couple of hours down to the port on the river and then they get on a, you know, big canoe with big outboards on the back and head upstream about 100 kilometres. Um, and then they, there's, I think there's about eight or nine post-harvest process centres along the river, you know, with each of the main community centres. And so they collect the cacao um, from those centres, put it in the canoe, and then you know pay cash to the to the to the families. Um, and in 2017, they got held up at gunpoint um, between the bank and the port, wow. and and actually lost 25,000 US dollars. Um, and so, kind of gives you a little bit of a, a sense for um, the sort of situation. It's the, the region is one of the largest coca growing areas in the world. You know, the raw material for cocaine. Um, you know, it's coca was, you know, was really one of the main sacred, I guess, traditional um, plants of the of the you know a lot of those communities in the Amazon basin. Um, yeah, so it's sort of a, a really interesting and challenging um, place to work. But this, 
this particular community have, have really shown their resilience and resourcefulness. And uh, in 2019, the, the cooperative was awarded the United Nations Equator Prize for the new economy category, um, which was a really good recognition of, you know, their resilience and, and um, you know, the work that we've been doing together. And they've got this really great sense of cultural autonomy and, and a lot of pride in their culture and um, really are very dedicated to um, maintaining that cultural autonomy um, throughout the process of integrating with, you know, the, the, the larger economy, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. really, really interesting. We'll, I'll get to the, I mean, re- the, the story of the, you know, money being taken on the boat. I mean, it, that, that itself is a, yeah, I mean, just a really massive case of why you need these people on, you know, the banking system, and you you know you don't want a situation where they're running down the river, which we'll get to in a minute. I just had another question in terms of, you know, so this community when you went in, were they already on the um, cacao supply chain, or or was this you know a whole new project? They obviously understood uh, the harvest, what they were doing, but were, were they already yeah. on the supply chain, or you was this a complete kind of new project, or what what was the it was- yeah, it was interesting. The Rainforest Foundation from the UK had been working with them, I think, for about 15 years. Um, and so they'd set up, you know, those basic things like land rights. You know, they'd been able to sort of map their lands and um, establish title to the lands. And, mm. um, you know, there, there's large areas of forest that have now been protected and, the community is the custodian of those protected areas, the Otishi National Park and the um, Ashininka communal lands. Um, and, you know, the Rainforest Foundation has been working on education, basic healthcare, really trying to set up those basics and, um, and had started to sort of do some investment into cacao, principally cacao, a little bit of coffee. And I'd been, we'd been buying quite a bit of, our cacao from a, a cooperative called Pangoa, Pangoa Cooperative, which is further downstream, closer to Satipo, and Pangoa had been buying cacao from the Ashaninka. So, you know, we'd been sort of getting it indirectly. Um, and so, you know, there was a certain level of stuff in there. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we were able to come in and work directly with them and, you know, take it all to the next level and, and really kind of um, facilitate them, I guess, really setting up their own operation and, you know, sort of, um, and and it's been, you know, one of, for me, one of the, I guess, the great um, indicators of, of success has been the fact that um, they have maintained, they've been able to stay COVID-free. Um, oh, wow. You know, the whole community, they haven't had any COVID up into their, communities and they've continued their economic activity so last year i think we got 60 tons out you know during during the whole and well obviously the covid crisis is still going on over there but um you know and and they're harvesting at the moment and we you know so i think that's that's sort of a great testament to the sort of organization and protocols and and also yeah just their their own 
capability, you know, I think, I think, and, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, I'm excited about the possibility of, you know, working with you guys, working with task and, you know, potentially working with some of the other, we've had some discussions with the guys from ANCLAP who are looking to get um, the Peruvian soul onto the, onto the network. Um, and they hope to have that, I think, done in the next month or two. And, and, you know, um, also some discussions with, um, I had a, a call with um, Leaf Global Fintech um, and, you know, they've got a really good capability in terms of, I think, going into the community and helping to map their sort of economic activity and, and you know, really look at the feasibility of, you know, introducing a sort of a, a digital, you know, banking sort of framework into the community, you know, based on Stellar. So, you know, I'm, I think, you know, there's a lot of exciting possibilities and, and you know, to, to sort of pull something like this off, I think it's, you know, it's really important that the community has really good leadership, has a demonstrated a level of, you know, capability. And I think this community has, has really done that. So, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's exciting to see, you know, what can happen, I think, you know, in my, I've been following Stella for the last um, four or five years and um, I've just been really impressed and really inspired by the, I guess, the principles behind the technology, um, you know, the, the intention with which it was created um, and, yeah, and, 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 you know, it's great. I think also, you know, within the community, I'm, I'm really discovering that because of those principles and because of that intention, it really draws like-minded people together. Um, and, you know, everyone that I've come into contact with within the community has been really aligned around those principles and, and intention, which I think, um, yeah, again, is, is, is refreshing and, and, and exciting. It is really exciting. I mean, I, you know, I, I, when I talk about the, the, the work we're doing with you and what we're kind of frameworking here, and I mean, it is so exciting. And funnily enough, you know, as I talk about it, I live in the, in the, you know, in the, in the kind of country here and I hear other use cases, you know, it's, it's not, it, when you talk about it, the work we're doing around kind of connecting with these communities and providing you know, improve livelihoods, getting onto the banking system. It's really exciting because you think, oh, this is an interesting project. However, there are use cases everywhere where this can be scaled out in different parts of the world. Um, when I listen to you talk and, it, you know, we know each other a little bit now, we've had a fair few meetings, you clearly are coming from a place where you care about these people, you know, and you're now, you know, coming in with these, these technologies and, um, you know, technologies that can, can have a huge impact, can make a difference. It, there's a balance, though, I, I assume, when you look at, um, you know, respecting the kind of traditions and the community and then coming in with these new technologies, I, I'm assuming that's something you really want to kind of balance how you engage and how you interact. Is that something that's kind of front of mind when you go in with these types of solutions that we are going in with? Yeah, yeah. Like, I guess I'm... I've had a fair bit of experience over the years working with Indigenous communities. I also work with a, um, a couple of communities here in Australia, Aboriginal communities, and, um, and it's been great working with the Rainforest Foundation because uh, they have this great 
participatory community development style approach, which is very much around um, going in and listening and really facilitating um, the community itself to come up with, you know, their own um, solutions and their own. So, yeah, and, and, then, and then I think within that, the community really has ownership of kind of what's going on. And um, I think that's really fundamental. Um, I, um, it was really interesting. We, we, we had a call with um, Steve the other day um, and he was, he was talking about a book that, that I'd, I'd talked about a while ago called Rethinking Money. And he actually read the whole thing and was, you know, um, um, talking a lot about it. And it was, it was, uh, and I've just come back to, to having a look at it over the last couple of days. And, um, um, and it, I think it's, it's really interesting when you look at the situation we're in in the world at the moment with these, you know, large crises that we're facing, um, you know, and, and really the writing's on the wall, I think. Um, and, um, and, you know, more and more people are kind of seeing that quite clearly. Um, and, you know, since I've been following Stella and, and involved in the climate space and looking at green finance and, you know, really starting to understand how the monetary system and, and you know, how money moves around the world, how money's created, what money represents, that whole concept is so fundamental to society and, and the whole human endeavour. And, um, and that book, Rethinking Money, for me is kind of so important because it, um, um, it kind of demystifies, you know, and, and in it they, they, you know, they say money's the last taboo. You know, people don't, just don't talk about money, particularly those people that have money, you know, that, that, you know that's the last thing they want to talk about. Right? Um, and I, I think, you know, now that I've sort of got some insight into how the monetary system works and I think, you know, particularly being exposed to Stella, it makes you start, you can start to understand the mechanics of it and it, it really helps you reframe, um, you know, different levels, how you see the monetary system and the possibilities. And I think, you know, there's some really great work happening in Africa at the moment with community currencies and, you um, you know, there's this um, great initiative called, I think it's called grassrootseconomics.org. Uh, and um, there's a guy, Will Ruddick, um, who kind of started that in Africa. He's an ex-Peace Corps, US Peace Corps guy. Um, and they've actually had quite a bit of success. And they've, um, I think, you know, the Red Cross, is the I think the largest source of aid into the US from uh, into Africa from Europe, and the Red Cross is now looking at you know deploying a lot of their aid in Europe via these community currencies because they're they're just so effective, um, you know, and it, it it really aligns with that whole concept of rethinking money and you know going from this sort of sort of zero sum game of scarcity which is, you know, the existing monetary system to one of um, abundance, you know, where you kind of create these new community currencies and all of a sudden 
you know, the, the community goes from this um, sense of scarcity to a sense of abundance, you know, because there's labour available, but the labour can't be unlocked because there's no, there's no, there's no money to unlock it. Um, whereas, you know, you create a, a community currency, you create your own currency, and then all of a sudden you can unlock all of that, all of that, um, you know, resource and, and direct it where it needs to go and, and then create a, a lot more prosperous and, and um, um, community. And, you know, in the book they documented, they documented, a, a, you know, a lot of these, these um, alternative community currencies that are actually happening around the world and working and, and really making a difference. And, and um, the, the grassroots uh, economics project is... Uh, built on Ethereum. So, you know, they've got um, some problems, you know, because as we know, there's, you know, issues with the Ethereum technology in terms of, you know, um, speed and gas prices, but, but also interoperability. And I think, um, you know, that's where I think, again, Stella can be, you know, a real game changer because Stella's built for exactly that use case. Yeah. Um, you know, you can... Um, so yeah, that I guess that's something that that I'm I'm really excited about at the moment is you know the possibility of creating a community style currency, you know, for a community like the Ashaninka, who are who are relatively you know have a relatively closed economy um, and contained economy, um, um, build it on the Stellar network, um, give them the ability to you know. Um, uh, mint their own currency and, and regulate it and control it. You know, my, my ideal vision would be to be able to um, anchor that currency into, you know, real-world ecological and, and cultural assets or, or services. Um, you know, and this is something that, you know, we're looking at with task and, and, and working on such that, you know, all of a sudden you have a community currency um, that, you know, is securely anchored in, um, um, you know, verifiable ecological assets, um, ecological services that are contributing to the health of the planet. You know, these guys are based in the Amazon. The Amazon is the lungs of the planet. Um, and, um, you know, and, and people in, in the developed world, like people in Melbourne, for example, where we sell our chocolate could potentially, you know, fund the minting of that community currency um, via, you know, fiat, fiat currency. Like, you know, if, if let's say, you know, in the simplest example, we, we, we say, you know, um, um, and this is sort of a simplified version, but, you know, you know each token will be minted with a, a tree being planted, you know, and each token will be anchored in a tree, you know, that's planted by that community into the Amazon forest as part of the restoration project, you know, then the cost of planting that tree could be funded by people here in Melbourne with, you know, fiat currency, um, you know, the trees planted, you know, a, a digital sovereign token of the Ashaninka community is minted for each tree that's planted, you know, and then they can set up their own sort of internal economic system, you know what I mean? Um, um, you know, based on the principles of these community currencies on the Stellar Network, but it's, it's, it's not isolated. You know, they can interact with the, the whole broader economy, 
you know, via, you know, Peruvian sole off-ramp in Satipo, you know, with a partnership with the local bank. And then, um, you know, and then, and then you could, you know, potentially see other communities, you know, you know, once you've got sort of one working and you've got um, um, uh, a prototype, um, then it sort of becomes easier then to translate that to other communities and and um, and 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 you know one of the one of the issues that they have in Africa with these community currencies is they're not they're not really interoperable and they're not so interoperable with the outside broader economy. But then again, that's the beauty of Stella. You know, if it's built on Stella, then you know all of these things become interoperable and. You know, uh, uh, you can you can you know trade them on the decentralized exchange. What what are the examples when you talk about community community currencies in Africa? What what can you give some examples of what you're saying? Because uh, when you talk about actually when you talk about the Ashen stuff, it's really interesting, and there's mm. almost a sophistication there that mm. you know someone in a developed country would would kind of struggle to deal with. You know, you're seeing people just get their heads around this, and you're describing stuff that you know is is sophisticated but I, I sense probably it's actually quite simple when you're on the ground i mean do you have examples of these community currencies on that you're seeing in africa and and, and how they work and what's happening yeah i haven't i haven't looked into it in you know in a lot of detail um it's something that i want to i want to look into a little bit more but um um and and i'm actually in the middle of watching uh there was a documentary made on Will Ruddock, who's the guy who sort of helped settle this up, and I'm only about a third of the way through. But um, you know, my understanding is that that um, um, I did see a, a video on on one in Vanuatu here, which is a little bit more local. Vanuatu's in the Pacific, just off yep. off the East Australian coast. Um, and you know what 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 they do is that that they. Um, you know, they, they issue, they, they start with um, vouchers, you know. But the, the example I, the, the classic example that I remember from the Rethinking Money book is in Brazil, because um, in Rethinking Money, the, the basic principle of it that they talk about is linking unused resources with unmet needs. And, yeah. and that's one thing that the existing monetary system is not very good at doing, Um Ironically, but, it's what it was initially developed for, though. That's the kind yeah, of but, that, that's you know, the irony of it. But it's changed yeah, a lot. Yeah, and and yeah, that's what it should be doing. But it's mm. uh, unfortunately, you know, it's it's not very good at doing that. Um, it's very good at doing it for a select few. Yeah, um, but the majority of people, you know, it's it's um, but um, um, in in Brazil, in this community, um, which was a you know very poor community, um, you know, had lots of problems within the community a lot of poverty and there was a lot of um um it's on the coast and and a lot of the um the the rubbish in the ocean would wash up on the beaches you know there's certain places around the world where ocean currents bring a lot of rubbish onto the beaches and this is one of those places so they had an abundance of rubbish on the beach um and so there was none met need was to sort of clean up all that rubbish um, and then they also had an abundance of public transport. So that was sort of a bit of an unused resource. So they, they created a, a token that represented a unit of public transport. And people could go and collect rubbish off the beach and go and, you know, put it into a depot and then receive tokens 
these public transport tokens in exchange for the rubbish. Awesome. And, um, and, and these public transport tokens became so popular within the community that the local traders in the community started accepting them as, you know, tender, as, as you know, form of exchange of value. And, you know, that sort of, and then, and then that, you know, that community based on that system then started to become a lot more prosperous. And, you know, they were measuring different indices of, you know, um, the health of the community and it just all of those indices increased, um, you know, with awesome. the system that was put in place. So, I mean, that's in, in quite simplistic terms. And, um, you know, these, these guys have been working, these, these folks have been working on these projects for a few years now. Um, and so, you know, they're becoming quite sophisticated and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of thinking and a lot of experimenting going into the token economics. And, you know, there's a, a project, I think it's called Common Stack. Um, I can't remember, it's been a while since I looked at it. That's an open source project, you know, developing token economic tools, you know, uh, to simulate, you know, where you can, um, they simulate bonding curves and you can put in all different parameters and it will simulate what, what, what that's going to look like for the community. Because obviously, you know, the token economics is, is you know, a really important aspect of how you, how you set these things up. Um, yeah, so you know, there's 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 lots of pieces there, but it's for me, it's exciting to to kind of um, um, you know follow these different things that are going on and and start to see them coming together and you know having impact and gather momentum and um, yeah. Yeah, so it is. That's a good example, and I, I think good for our audience because, you know, we sometimes we speak about this stuff every day. But that's a great example of a community currency, and I think it's a simple one, but it does map in to all of these different things we're able to do with, hmm. with, with, um, with Stella. You know, with what yeah. you know, with us, with with yourself integrated into the community. So, um, in terms of a bit of a vision question, and you know, as we kind of come towards the end, but looking at Loving Earth, obviously, you know, we've got we're we're kind of piloting the the australian or we're frameworking the australian pilot at the moment and the bigger vision is is the Ashaninka. putting myself in the shoes of a consumer and ultimately loving earth you sell chocolate bars you know i buy i buy your chocolate bar what's your kind of vision your long-term vision here in in terms of the whole ecosystem I can, i'm a consumer i go in i i buy the chocolate bar you know, apart from the fact of buying a really lovely, tasty chocolate bar, you know, what's the kind of the, the big vision here long term in terms of connection, um, you know, ecology, the environment, all of these different elements? I know that's a big question, but I, I got a sense you probably think about it. So I, I, I did want to ask. OK, I, cool. <laughs> I, I, think, I think about it a lot. I guess that the challenge is how to articulate it in a sort of a, a succinct form. And it, obviously it's evolving. I've been very, very inspired by uh, Jeremy Rifkin. He's a, you know, he's a quite a prominent economist, um, American economist and social theorist. Um, there's a great Vice documentary on YouTube called The Third Industrial Revolution, um, which is a great way just to get get a get a handle on on um, his work. But he's articulated a very clear. Um, plan <laughs> um, and he's been working with Angela Merkel for the last 15 years in the European Central Bank and 
Um, you know, he's written many books. Um, he's been working with the Chinese leadership for the last five or six years um, as well. Um, and so he's he's kind of kind of really created this this quite well mapped out vision for for humanity. I think um, you know at, at, at this time, and he he's uh, I guess he's probably his big thing is is he he highlights the need for a hu new human narrative. Um, and he says, you know, at the moment we, we have a very geopolitical narrative that we live in and, you know, it's very much individualistic, you know, it sort of reflects the monetary system, you know, everyone's sort of this sense of an individual and has to compete for their piece of the pie, so to speak. And he says, you know, we need a new human narrative that needs to be based on biosphere consciousness and that we're actually all part of the one family. And we have to find, you know, new ways of of um, of doing things. And he, he he sort of and he talks about the need for a, a new economic order um, called the radical shared economy. And I guess you know he's influenced me a lot. And you know, in terms of my vision, I think my vision really has come into focus through the lens of his work and, and, and sort of reading his stuff. But I guess, you know, for me, what, 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 what I'm seeing, you know, with Loving Earth as a, as a vehicle is, is kind of infrastructure. Like I, I view it as sort of infrastructure that can, can connect, connect people living in the city, um, you know, who, who um, want to participate in this, process of healing the planet um, you know I, I've, I've adopted the term biocultural restoration um, I feel like that's what we need to be focusing on um, it's a term that's been um, described quite well by Robin Wall Kimmerer who's a, a, a Native American forest ecologist and writer um, I think she's just des described what that means quite quite clearly and um, and so, yeah, so the, the people in the city here, you know, we're, we're very progressive city here in Melbourne, particularly in the inner north where I live. And, you know, people, particularly young, younger people, you know, they, they, they want to participate in, 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 in solving some of the problems that we face, but they don't have the mechanisms. They don't have, you know, the, the means to be able to do that. And then you've got communities like the Ashaninka and the Amazon. You know, we, we work with Aboriginal communities in the Northern Territory and in the Kimberley. And, you know, these Indigenous communities, they have the means. You know, they're on the ground. They're, they're, they're doing land care. They're restoring forests. They have the, the ability to, you know, heal the planet. And they have the technology too, very, very old technology. They know how, you know, forests work. They know how to interact with forests and, and care for forests. And so... I guess I really see it as, as linking those two together. It, it, again, coming back to rethinking money, you know, um, unused resources with unmet needs. So, you know, if we can, if we can, um, um, and, and, and I'm really excited by the possibility of that happening in a peer-to-peer -peer disintermediated way. So that, um, you know, I think that that's what's possible with, you know, a platform like Task built on the Stellar Network is that 
you know, someone here in Melbourne could buy a chocolate bar, scan the chocolate bar, you know, up on their phone pops Felixto, who's, you know, a far, Ashaninka farmer and, um, you know, introduces himself to them and, you know, says, you know, would you like to, you know, gives them an invitation, you know, would you like to participate in our biocultural restoration project? You know, and, and then this person in Melbourne can, can, you know, give five cents, you know, and of that five cents, 4.999 is going to land in Flickstow's wallet, you know what I mean, instantly, yeah. right? You know, and, and that's a game changer. That's a, that's a total game changer, I think. You know, they it don't is- even have to donate a dollar. It could be, you know, 20 cents, you know, and all those 20 cents add up. And that's the power of Stella is that it facilitates that, you know. It is. It is. I mean, it is a game changer. I think it's just to, I think, you know, paraphrase some of what you said. I mean, it is a game changer. I think it's absolutely about connection. You know, we have all of this technology everywhere now and the ability to bring people really close together when they're not close together. Um, mm. And really important for me, I think, is also I mean, you spend a lot of time in the nonprofit space. You're still connected to that that world. The nonprofit sector does great work but I, I i really feel also there's a path forward for uh, and and a really important role for business and you know you have a brand yeah, well, and your your ability to use that brand in this way and to to get to your consumers and allow them to make a difference is massively important you know yeah well i i really feel like there's a new paradigm emerging at the moment and um and a lot of the old languaging of the existing paradigm becomes challenged when utilized to describe the new paradigm that mm. you know i think there's there's going to be you know if we if we if we considering there is this new paradigm of this radical shared economy that, that that's emerging you know that 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 technology like task and stellar and these things are, are enabling you know i think the whole you know this distinction between not-for-profit and profit and all that all becomes very blurred yeah um, agree completely agree yeah and it needs to be blurred for us to exactly. make the to make the and, progress we need to make so yeah yeah and you know you look at the whole b corp movement you look at you know some of the activist consumer brands out there like you know patagonia and dr bronner's that are really at the cutting edge of of this new kind of business models that you know um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, and, and that's kind of how I'm seeing things in, in a way is that, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to, you know, within the next five years have, you know, Loving Earth run, be completely transparent financial, you know, like so anyone can come in and actually see where all the money's going and, you know, that this, this thing's completely transparent, um, you know, Rifkin, Jeremy Rifkin talks about, you know, in the future, in his vision, all economic data is available. All the economic data in the world is available. Mm. And, 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 and then I think you get, you get really good efficiency, you know, and, and, um, you know, rather than everything being obfuscated and, you know, kind of opaque and nobody knows what's going on. And, you know, I mean, there's massive amounts of waste in the system. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, I guess that's, 
that's where I'm seeing seeing my vision is is and um, experimenting with you know a, um, a consumer brand I guess um, to sort of you know develop this kind of transparent linking of things and and really just just serving serving the community you know in, in that way and providing that link. Awesome. Well, look, it's it's great to be part of this journey because we're kind of learning as we go. But I know we have the, you know, the the same kind of end goal in mind. It's great to kind of support to support you guys and and work on this stuff. So, mm. look, yeah, re- and really appreciate you sharing today. I know our audience will, will find it of interest. And if they want to, you know, learn more about about yourself and about Loving Earth, what, where's the best place for them for them to go and, and find more about you? Um. I guess just just um, online, our, our website um, is in dire need of a makeover, unfortunately, and which we're working on. Um, but but yeah um, yeah, I guess just just on the internet. Um, it's you know, loving it. Just just remind me, it's lovingearth dot lovingearth.net. Lovingearth.net. Um, I think take you there as well. But yeah, okay. if you put loving earth into any browser, I think we usually come up. Um, Cool. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm on, I'm on Twitter, um, and yeah, on on Keybase. Um, yeah, we've got we've got a little a little group um, going on on Keybase um, climate underscore regen. Um, it's sort of the team where we've got some documentation and that in there. And you know, if anyone out there is is interested in you know, getting involved in, in kind of what we're doing, you know, can reach out to us and yeah, we can, we can um, include you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I will and leave that's, that. I think I've... that's the other thing, just as a closing note that I, I really love about this space is I, 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 I must admit, I really love the, the decentralized nature about it and the, the fact that, you know, you've got all these characters all over the world um, just randomly coming together and, you know, working on, on joint things in a very informal um, way I think that's really exciting yeah. yeah same as that's been the whole experience with us with Stella I think more so in the last few months because we've been really integrated into the community but yeah totally mm-hmm. kind of agree on those points so yeah look I'll and leave those for, for for you know doing the podcast and getting the word out there really yeah my pleasure it. I was looking forward to it I have to say one thing I, I'm a massive chocolate fan I've never eaten your chocolate so I'm gonna have so we have to sort that out we won't go into yes. it here on on air but let's talk offline because i'm gonna have yeah, to work definitely. out how to order send me a chocolate all right scott i will leave all the all the the notes for anyone listening and um yeah look forward to catching up again soon take care down in melbourne hey yeah see ya hey thanks for listening to the task podcast and hope you found it interesting if you'd like to get in touch and have a chat with myself matt one of the team then we are at hello at task.io and we'd love to speak to you. Cheers.